Good morning. Wow. Thank you, God. So good. Amen? Graves into gardens. What a good God we know this morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see you. Well, it's starting to warm up outside. I'm sorry about that. There's nothing I could do. But if you're new here this morning, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so glad that you came here this morning. If I haven't got to meet you, I'd love to meet you out in the lobby. If you're watching with us online, um, thank you for joining us. Make sure to mention something about who you are. We'd love to reach out to you online as well. But thank you guys for coming this morning. Uh, I was, uh, we're starting a new series this week, and uh, we're trying to figure out how to open it up. And it's, t- it's titled 5678, and Rick and Judy actually came up with coming out and doing this dance skit, 5678, right? And they had a bunch of people, and I thought, that's a great idea. But if I do that, I'm going to get roped into it somehow. So I resisted, and maybe a different morning we might try that. Is that okay? Maybe we might volunteer. Anybody want to volunteer for that? Like, I just, I wasn't feeling it, so... Different day. No, I'm just kidding. But um, I've actually talked about Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 a, a few different times. For me, it was one of the most revolutionary four chapters that I've ever experienced in my life. Um, years ago, I used to work with teenagers out in Arizona, and I was given the responsibility to talk to them about God and Jesus. And I remember getting to this place where I was kind of frustrated with where they were at. And I started to think, man, not only am I supposed to talk to them about God, but I want them to live right. Have you guys ever been there where you're like, man, I want that person to straighten up and to live right. I want them to do all the right things. And so I thought, I took it upon myself, I'm going to study about righteousness and right standing with God because I'm sure once I talk to them about right standing with God, they're going to then live right after that, okay? My wife encouraged me to go ahead and start studying about it. And so I started reading 5, 6, 7, and 8. I went through 1 through 4 in Romans, and I got to 5, 6, 7, 8, and I, I couldn't stop reading it over and over and over again. And, and I would say, for me, it, it just changed my whole life upside down. And then I, it was funny because I went to go read it again for this series specifically, and I feel like, man, even... 12 years ago when I first started reading it, I've changed even so much since that time of reading. Like it's continued to revolutionize the way I think and do life. And so as we go through this the next few weeks, I want you to know I'm probably going to say some pretty radical things. Are you guys okay with that? Like just so you know, you might say radical things when I'm talking to you and I don't react. So don't freak out. Don't run out, out or anything. We're in good company. You can be patient with me um, as we discover and we talk about the things of God and how we can view him in a different light. Um, Just to give you a little of the back history of Romans 5, this is obviously the Apostle Paul that is writing this letter to the Roman people. Okay, there was a Jewish church that was in Rome, and there was persecution uh, that was happening from the emperor at the time. And so they fled from Rome into a different area for about five years. And in that five years, the persecution ceased, and they decided it was a good idea to move back. 
Now, also in that same time, some of the Jews had become Christians, so they were going back into Rome where this church was, and the Romans had also changed some of the, the customs and the way that they were living there as the church. And so now you have Roman people, Jewish people, and also um, Christian Jewish people all in the same church. And Paul, I believe, took his time to try and establish this letter to them so that his hope was that the message would move to Spain eventually. I don't know that it moved in his lifetime, but it definitely, the gospel is in Spain these days. So I know that that was the hope and prayer that he could establish this church and everything that they believed. So we're going to start in the, the verse before Romans 5, just to kind of start there, because I believe it kind of transitions into the next chapter pretty well. So if you can hang in there with me, Romans 4.25 and the New King James Version, that's the version we're going to read out of most of the time. But verse 25 it says, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Now that justification word, in the Greek it means dikosis, which is the act of pronouncing righteous. It actually means to declare righteous. It also has the word acquittal as a, as a synonym there, also emphasizing Christ's full payment of the debt for sin which liberates the believer from all divine condemnation. That's a pretty good definition. Uh, I don't know if you, this, is, this is ever, you've heard this, but it stuck with me. Uh, justification, a lot of people try to say it's, it's to declare just as if I've never sinned. I think that's a pretty good definition. Justification, just as if I've never sinned. Um, it's also a judicial term. You've probably heard it in, in the courtroom if you've ever been one or if you've seen it on TV. At the end, they, they tell the defendant, they say that I find the defendant not guilty. And so that's what's been declared over us is that we have been justified. Uh, I love the Amplified Romans 4.25. It says, who was betrayed and crucified because of our sins and was raised from the dead because of our justification, our acquittal absolving us of all sin before God. Uh, when I was in eighth grade, I know you're going to be surprised by this, uh, but I actually got in trouble by my mom for not doing my homework, okay? It was the first week, and my mom told me that if you don't do your homework, I'm going to send you over to the other coast. I was in Sarasota, and she's going to send me to Melbourne to live with my aunt who worked at a Christian school, and I was going to live over there for the whole year. I didn't believe my mom, and so I called her bluff, and I didn't do my homework that week. And so on Friday, guess where I went? I went to Melbourne, Florida with my mom, and I was dropped off at the school. Yeah, that's my mom, I know. Woe is right. And so I got to the school. I went to the class. Um, they, they gave us an assignment, and the assignment was to take any report from the newspaper over the weekend that we wanted to, and then Monday we had to talk about it, Okay. So it's a Christian school. I wasn't a Christian at the time. I got in front of the class. I uh, had this like football thing about the Rams losing. And I kept saying, I'm not going to say it this morning, but a Christian cuss word that people would say all the time. And I said it in front of the class over and over and over again, okay, in this school that was not allowed. 
And so every time I would say it, all the students would look over at my aunt to see what her reaction was, and she would just keep smiling and staring at me, and she never stopped me, and I didn't even know that I did anything wrong, okay? And so months later, I found out this whole scenario that happened, and I went to the restroom right after I gave the little speech or whatever in front of the class. I went to the restroom because I, I hated speaking in front of people, probably felt sick or whatever. I went to the, went to the bathroom, and, she, and the class wanted to find out like what she was going to do about it. And she said, he is not going to get into any trouble at all about that. He has no idea that he's done anything wrong. And so if that makes any sense, she absolved me from the trial that I was being accused of by the other students, right? But she said, because of my relationship with him, he has been absolved from the case, okay? Like he, he doesn't have to suffer the consequences. I'm going to declare him righteous, Okay. And so we all, as believers, we have been declared righteous. We've been absolved from any case that's against us. Romans 5.1, let's start there. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So faith makes us justified, not keeping the law. I'll say it again. Faith makes us justified, not keeping the law. Because of Jesus, there is no more separation. There is no enmity. There is no more wrath, right? God is not angry, as the billboard says. And the Prince of Peace has come. Let's continue. Romans 3.23. This is a couple chapters before, but I think it's important. It's in the Jubilee translation. It says, for all have sinned and are made destitute of the glory of God. We've heard that verse quoted over and over, for all have come short of the glory of God. And usually people stop right there at verse 23, don't they? But it keeps going, verse 24, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. It says, being justified freely. And I think that's the difficult pill for most people to swallow, is that it, that it doesn't cost us anything. I remember when I first uh, married into Ruthie's family, uh, her family was in real estate, and we used to go out to eat often, okay? Too often for me, but we used to go out to eat often. And I remember every time we'd go out, especially the first year, I would try to pull out my wallet and try to pay, and her dad would say, Matthew, your money doesn't spend here, right? And I was always like, well, I want to buy. I want to pay. I want to take care of me and my wife. I feel like that I should pay something. I felt as though I needed to. I felt as though it was my job. And I believe that that is how justification is. That is how salvation is. That is how sanctification is. We feel as though we owe something. We feel as though it's our job to pay some type of Thing. And so I think that's a difficult thing is for us to receive something that we didn't pay for. But the good news is that is his grace. That is his grace. Romans 5.2. Let's keep going. New King James again. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It says, through grace, by faith. Through grace, by faith. Now, we talked about this on Easter, but it's not by performance, and it's not by the do's and the don'ts, and it's not by being good. Can we all agree? Just by saying, wow, God, is how we come into the knowledge of Christ, right? There's no special prayer, even though I used to think that there was a special prayer. 
I used to think Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you have not prayed that, you do not know God. I even knew a guy that used to open up his Bible to that thing, and he would make people read that verse, and he'd say, all right, you're saved. You're good to go. Way to go on praying the prayer. But I have a question for you. How many people ever prayed that prayer in the Bible? Do you remember any people? Like, I don't remember the thief on the cross praying that prayer. I don't remember, I don't recall him praying any type of prayer. Uh, I also don't remember the blind man. He just said, I believe. He said, I believe. Right? There was no special prayer. In fact, according to, if you're going to use Romans 10, 9, and 10 as a prayer, look at Romans was written around 57 AD, 57 to 59 AD, approximately 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I, that tells me that between the time that he was resurrected to that to the 25 years after, there was no prayer of salvation. And then can you think about how long it actually took to get the Bible formulated to where people would actually be able to read that verse? So it tells me that there was no specific prayer that people had to pray called a prayer of salvation. I love the scripture that says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? That makes it pretty easy, wouldn't you say? All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a lot of people. Like people in airplanes sometimes, right? You get a little, whoa. Are they calling on the name of the Lord? It's questionable. It's questionable. You hear people on the street say, Jesus Christ, every time there's a, an accident or something, right? Shove the brakes. Okay, we already believe in the Lord, Ruthie. Let's move on. Romans 5.3, it says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, verse 4, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. There was a time in my life, I don't know if you guys ever experienced this, but there was a time in my life where I would blame everything on the devil. Like, I mean everything. If something bad happened, I was like, man, how did the devil get into my life on this situation? Like, where did I make a wrong move? Where did I slip up? Where did I say the wrong thing? Have I not been praying enough? Have I not been reading my Bible enough? Have I not been going to church enough? What have I I done? Can I tell you, this is just a request from me to you as friends. Can Can I request something as friends? You guys request things of me. I request, let's stop giving the devil so much credit. Okay, I don't want to give him any more credit. I don't want to give him any more glory, right? He's not behind everything that happens bad. I just, I I believe, because if I believed that, if I believe the devil was behind everything bad, I've had a lot of devastation in my life, right? Like, I've had a lot of disappointments. I've had people that have hurt me. I've had people that have walked out. I've had people that have disappointed or situations or circumstances, as have you guys, right? Situations or circumstances, things that have happened, Right? And I don't want to give the devil any credit for that. I don't want to. I think that sometimes things just happen in life, and it really kind of stinks. Even Jesus said, you will have tribulation on this earth. Do you remember that? If you're on this earth, you're going to have tribulation. You know what that tribulation means? It means trouble. We're going to have trouble. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7.28, this is a good one, yet those who marry will have troubles. I love how they tried to paint it a little bit nicer in the Amplified. It says, special challenges (laughs) in this life, and I'm going to spare you that. You don't hear this quoted at too many weddings, do we? (laughs) Right? Can we agree? Anybody have special challenges in here? Nobody wants to raise your hand. You might get in trouble. Don't raise your hand. That was a trick. 
It's like, yeah, they're holding each other a little tighter. I get it. Special challenges. God blessed us with that. It got real quiet. Um, if you are alive, you're going to have trouble. If you're breathing, you're going to have trouble. But we have hope. Romans 5, 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When I hear people begging for the Holy Spirit to come into their services, I get slightly disappointed. Uh, there was a song back in the 90s. I remember Fred Hammond used to sing. I don't know if you guys know who Fred Hammond is, but Fred Hammond was a, a great gospel singer, and he used to sing, just to be close to you, just to be close to you, just to be close to you is my desire. And I know what he was trying to say there. I understand his longing, but I want you to know we no longer have to beg for the Holy Spirit to be in our lives, to be in our services, to be going with us wherever we go. The Holy of Holies, according to this scripture, has been poured out into our hearts. It has been poured out into our hearts. There's no inviting him into our services. He lives in us. Not just when we ask for forgiveness or we ask him to come into our services. If he's in us, he's with us at all times. It kind of can be awkward to invite the Holy Spirit. And I'll explain it to you. I remember when we, we had a rental, we lived in a rental when I was a teenager, and the, the landlord decided he wanted to, to uh, rent or sell the house that we were living in, okay? But he didn't want to show the property. So he said, you guys at the renter, as the renters get to show the property. Talk about the meaning of awkward, okay? So I'm a teenager, and these people come into our house, and then I'm in my room, and I'm like, here's my room. Do you like it? I live here, right? I, this is my room. This is my house. But if you'd like it, here you go, right? And it's, and it's awkward. My wife, whenever something awkward happens, she says inappropriate, right? And to me, it seems inappropriate to invite the Holy Spirit into a place where he's already at. It seems inappropriate that it's not necessary to invite him to a place where he already is. Romans 5, 6, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Good news, Jesus didn't come for a perfect world. If he could be, or if we could be perfect and blameless on our own, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. Like the conversation when Jesus tells people to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect, he wasn't, it wasn't a challenge for us to reach for. He was speaking to the chasm that was between us and God and that we would never be able to on our own reach that perfection. We don't have the capability in ourselves. And that's why it says that we were without strength that we were weak. We didn't have that capability to justify ourselves, to declare ourselves righteous. In fact, when Jesus was talking that way, he was pointing to the fact that we never could. Um, let's keep going. Romans 5, 6, or 5, 7, and 8. It says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. I love verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Some might ask, how do I know that God loves me? Like, how do I know that? I used to ask that question all the time. Like, how do I know that God loves me? Because really, it's not just enough to know that God loves you, right? Like, it's just like it's not enough for me to tell my wife that I love her. Did you know that? 
I'll tell my wife, I love you, I love you, I love you. And sometimes my wife says, you can demonstrate that love by doing the dishes <laughs> or helping around the house. You can demonstrate that love, right? Man, I'm talking about husband and wives a lot this morning. I'm sorry. Uh, but that's how God demonstrated his love as he sent his son to pay, to declare us righteous. Uh, let's go to Romans 5, 9, in the New King James. It says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The word justified, again, it means declared righteous, but it also, I'm going to add in here, by the blood of Jesus. When I feel tempted to kind of get down on myself and say, man, I really hope that I've done enough good to outweigh the bad. I want you to know you don't really get that privilege. Why? Because you've been declared righteous. You don't get to say, well, I hope that one day when I stand before God in heaven, I, I hope that God says to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I hate to tell you, unfortunately, you don't get that privilege either. Be why? Because you have been declared righteous. You have been declared right with him. Scripture says that as he is, so are we in this world. He declared Jesus righteous. He declared him right with him. He declared him justified in the same way we too are justified. We too are right. Romans 5.10, let's keep going. It says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That word reconciled in the Greek, it's katalasso, and it's talking about change, like as far as money exchange, right? But to change from enmity to friendship, to reconcile. We were brought near through the death of Jesus, and we are saved through the resurrection. That really is the Easter message, right? We have had people over the years, I don't know if you guys have... <laughs> I'm going to reveal something. If Nikki's watching online, she'll probably laugh. Uh, but we have had visitors walk in the doors, right? And people look for a cross. Did you guys know that? People are sometimes looking for a cross. And I'm going to reveal something to you right now. But, but we don't have, as far as I know, decorations for crosses. We don't have any crosses in the church. And we've actually had people come to the church and leave because there were no crosses here at the church. In Arizona, the same thing used to happen, right? And I remember somebody took it upon themselves and they went and got a bunch of cedar wood and they made us a massive cedar cross to hang on the wall. Now, mind you, if you do that, we might not hang it here, but I understand the thinking, right? They were nervous that why don't they have a cross? But what I want to encourage you with today is the cross was important. The cross obviously reconciled mankind, but life is in the resurrection. The life comes with the resurrection, with an empty cross, right? He's no longer there. Why? Um, why? Because we've been made to. Reconciliation is great, but we're saved by him being raised. Romans 6, 4, I read this to you guys a couple weeks. We were buried Therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Some might ask, like, do you think that we could ever lose that salvation? Is there a possibility? Well, the question you have to ask yourself is, could Jesus ever die again? Is that a possibility? The answer, obviously, is no. 
He's been resurrected. I had a guy stop in here years ago and say, hey, Matt, do you think that I've lost my salvation? And I asked him, I said, well, do you think that you could become born again and then lose your salvation and become born again again? And where does that level stop, right? You become born again, 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 again. It just goes on forever. No, there's just one time that you become born again. There's one time that you become resurrected. There's one time that Christ did that as well. Romans 5.11, let's keep going. It says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. The word rejoice, it means to boast. It means to boast proudly. It means living with your head up high. There was a translation that literally said the word neck. Cracked me up, right? And that tells me right there that we're to hang our heads up high. If you look under the young literal translation, it says, and not only so, but we are also boasting in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we did receive the reconciliation. This verse encourages us to hold our head up high. That doesn't sound like a very scary God. It doesn't sound like somebody that we need to live with trepidation or we need to be afraid that, of what he's going to do. We don't need to walk lightly with God. We get to look and come into the, the grace, the throne of grace where he is, and we get to talk and fellowship. It's not somebody that we need to be worried about, man, if I step wrong or if I, if I step out of line, what's God going to do? No, you can know where you stand with him, and you can rejoice about that. I love Paul Ellis. He wrote on Facebook the other day. He said, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repent, not his frowning judgment. Of all the sinners Jesus met, how many did he condemn? None, nada, not a one. He only condemned religious know-it-all who thought they knew God better than he did. The reason we can hang our head up high is because of his goodness, the reason we can experience his goodness is because there was an exchange. We went from being separated and enemies to friends of God. Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as the one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Asking people to, if they know that they sinned to me is sinful. Right? I used to do that when I would try to lead somebody. Lord, do you know that you've sinned? Like that's, it's just like, why would you do that? It's kind of a Veggie Tales type gospel. Do you guys know what that is? It's like you're, you're telling people about sin in hopes that they will become sinless people, right? And you'll, you'll hear too people say, we need to get the commandments back in the schools. We need to get the commandments back in the schools, right? But I'll tell you, no amount of law will produce new life. No amount of law. Man, I, I mean, you could try to do all the law that you can, but it was meant for one specific purpose. We'll get into that next week. Uh, Romans 5.13, it says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. And this is kind of a tricky conversation, right? But sin does exist in the earth. Could we all agree? Sin can be painful, not between us and God, but sin has its own punishment. Galatians 6, 7, it says that uh, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the, sow the spirit, you'll reap life, right? And unfortunately, sin does have its own consequence. Like if you sin against a brother, you hurt that person, there will be possibly a consequence from that brother. 
right? You don't treat your wife correctly. God isn't going to hold it against you, but man, you might experience some wrath from the wife, right? Same with the parents, all of those things. Sin in the flesh has consequences, but the sin between God and man has been dealt with and removed and abolished. Verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So clearly sin existed from Adam to Moses. I love what Andrew Farley said about this. He said it wasn't just anti-apple eating. Right? Like, wasn't Adam trying to encourage people not to eat apples between Adam and Moses? Sin still exists today, but God doesn't operate with us according to that. Verse 15, it says, But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. That word abounded... Abounded means to superabound. It means abound much more. It actually means the word exceeding. It's where you get the scripture that says he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can think or ask. But this, these next couple of verses, it's talking about Adam versus Jesus. And I want you to know Jesus won in these scriptures. Verse 16, it says, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. We reign because we no longer function under Adam. We function under Christ. And functioning under Christ is far superior. Would you agree? Death versus life. Under Adam... Under Adam, sin was held against us. Under Christ, not, so, not anymore. It no longer has a hold on us. Verse 18, it says, Therefore, as though one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's disobedience, many will be made righteous." Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. If you preach that sin can take you out of grace, then you're preaching a more powerful Adam than you are Jesus. If you preach that there's some type of sinning that you can do that will pull you out of grace, then you're preaching a more powerful Adam than you are Jesus. Grace should sound radical. Amen? It should sound slightly scary. I'm going to read to you guys real quick a post that Rick actually made about a month ago that I thought, I, had, I, I think I texted him or called him. I was like, Rick, what you just, and I was just having a conversation with somebody, but I loved what he wrote. This is on Facebook. It says, some of us believe in logical grace rather than amazing grace. Some believe that a demand to live up to certain standards should be maintained. But when you ask if they live up to these standards themselves, they usually admit that they don't. If they say that they do, just ask a couple questions like Jesus did, and that will expose them. 
along with their admission of guilt, they will quickly bounce back with a declaration that at least they try and that's what counts with God. This is not biblical at all. We don't get points for trying. That is, sin con- that is a sin conscious way of trying to live for Jesus. In fact, it is that very idea that keeps many from turning from their own efforts to the real life changing amazing grace that empowers us to live. Not for Jesus, but by Jesus, through Jesus, from Jesus, and in Jesus. And then he quoted Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen. I'm going to close with verse 21. It says, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I often get this uh, comment after I preach here at Grace Church for some reason that, man, Matt, that was that was great. I loved how you let people off the hook and you told people, man, God doesn't hold anything against you. And then you got to tell them, Matt, that, man, they got to do everything right, right? They got to fix themselves and they got to make sure not to go to. Can I tell you, I don't actually tell people that. I don't actually tell people. I don't get into sin management, right? I don't get into that. Why? Because that's dealing with people in the flesh, I get to deal with them. I get to look at people the way God does. I get to look at people the way he cares for us, that he justified us. He declared us righteous, and I believe that's how we're to look at each other. The reason I don't want to tell people every week to stop sinning is because when you get into the things of the flesh, you actually exaggerate sin and the flesh. And we no longer function under sin and Adam, but under grace. We are not under death, but we are under life and Zoe life. Amen? Would you guys stand with me? I'm going to pray for everybody, and we are going to dismiss here in just a second. Father, we thank you, God. You can lift your hands with me if you want. Father, we thank you for who you are, God. We thank you, God, that you've changed our life, God. You've turned it upside down. You've, you don't look at us according to the flesh. You don't look at us according to what we can do, God, but you look at us according to who you are. As he is, so are we in this world, God. We have been justified. We have been declared righteous. And so I I pray for anybody that's in here that's struggling, that's thinking, man, I don't know if God's going to hold this against me, God. I speak life into them and let them know, God, how much you love them. Let them know how much you care about them. We trust you today. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You guys have a great week.